but um, but I want to point you to First Peter three verses eight to twelve, um, and I'll start off. Um, finally, okay, pause. This is a great word. Peter is saying to his believers, "This is the last thing that I'm going to tell you. This is the last exhortation I want to give you." This is a word that I don't want you to use during the sermon. <laughs> I don't want you to say, finally, it's done. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Especially because I was at New Hope Kids last week, and Brittany was gone. And I was teaching, and one of the kids, I got to my last point. I was like, this is my last point. And they're like, finally. And I was like, oh, okay, well. Um, but, yeah, okay, so he says, finally, all of you, addressing the church, have unity of mind sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter, in verse 9, says something very specific. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called. I want to take Jonathan's sermon that talked about our calling for unjust suffering to display the grace of Jesus to go a little bit deeper to say our calling is that in the midst of that suffering and persecution, we are called to bless. So, call, called to bless. That's the title of my sermon. Um, so I have three points to my address. Uh, first point is we bless from our attitude. We bless from our attitude. Point two is we bless by our response. We bless by our response. And lastly, we bless because of our reality. We bless because of our reality. Okay, good. Stop there. Okay. So number one, we bless by our attitude. From our attitude, sorry. Look at down in verse 8. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The Greek words that are used here are only used here once in the New Testament, but the principle applies against all of it. Paul, Peter, Jesus say the same thing, to have a humble mind. Um, and, and as I was doing my sermon prep, I think I came across a good memory that I should use to uh, illustrate this. It is five years ago, I was a soccer coach. Now, I coached eight and nine-year-olds. I wasn't coaching professionals. And I was coaching these boys who were playing soccer for the first time. And I remember that um, they got on the team, and I didn't train them at all, and we started the first game season. And, you know, I was, a, I was a high school soccer player, and I wanted to play college soccer, so I was kind of intense about this. And we lost the first game. <laughs> and then we lost the second game. And we lost the third game. And we even lost the fourth game. <laughs> but at the fourth game, something odd happened. One of the boys, um, after the game was done, got on his knees and started crying. And so we, we got together in a hurdle around him, and uh, we didn't pray for him, but what we did was we started talking to each other. We were just like, you know what? We have nothing to lose. I was telling them, 
I was giving them like an inspirational speech, like, we have nothing to lose. We've lost four games. We're last in the season. There's nothing we can lose. We just, we just need to have fun. We need to have fun. And, and what ended up happening was the boys went from playing a style where everyone was playing selfishly and being like, I want the ball, I want the ball, you know, like, to ultimately being like, you know what? We have nothing to lose. Let's play as a team. And so what ended up happening was that for the rest of the season, we won. We won every single game. And it was incredible. Like, as a coach, to watch us from losing four games straight to winning every game for the rest of the season was incredible. Now, here's what happened. We went to the playoffs. We won the quarterfinals. We went to the semifinals. We won that. And then we went to the finals, right? And the boys scored five goals against this other team. Five goals. That doesn't happen in soccer. If you ever watch soccer, that doesn't happen. Unless you're watching the Brazil versus Germany match. I'm sorry about that, Anita. I was like, oh, wait, we have a Brazilian here. <laughs> okay. But here's my point, right? So this is what happened. We scored five goals. What ended up happening was I said, let's switch this around. The boys were all saying, hey, I want to be play, play for it. I want to play for it. You know when you're winning so much, you want to get to give the, the players that were least likely to score to have the chance to score? So we brought the goalie, and we put him in forward, and we put the forward in goalie. And so, like, it, the team dynamics changed drastically. And what ended up happening was the other team scored. Not one, not two, not three, but five. Five goals. They scored five goals. And it was tied. And it was the last. After the third goal, the parents were stalling it. Put the kids back in position. Put the kids in. And I was like, no, don't worry about it. And then, then they scored and they equalized. And I was like, okay, I got to put them back in position. And in the last minute of the game, some kid from the other team took the ball and shot from half field and scored. It was devastating. The kids dropped on their knees and they were crying. And they're like, you know, they're like, and, and the reason I bring this up is because on the road to victory, on the road to, to the playoffs and to the finals, everyone, every single kid had this humble attitude. And they were showing this humility that I've, I've probably never seen in a team before. They were passing the ball. They were not being selfish. But what ended up happening was on that last game, all these boys just started being selfish. They started being, I want, I want to be the goal scorer. I want to be the center of attention. I want to be the person who scores a goal. And we ended up losing. And so the term pride becomes, comes before a fall is very true. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I wonder if this describes your relationship with your small group. Okay, I'm making this very pointly to this group because I know there's a lot of people here who are in small groups. There is a way that you can grow in the Christian life. You can join a small group and you grow and you grow and you grow. But at some point, your growth is so inclined that you get prideful about your spiritual growth. Right? And, and then you start to think that I know what's best for the group. I know what, what the group needs the most. And you start to isolate yourself from your small group. And so this is not the idea of what Peter's saying. He's saying, have unity of mind, have sympathy, have brotherly love, have a tender heart, have a humble mind. And you can't know you have this humility unless you're surrounded by community that, that gives you it. 
And so my exhortation to you is get plugged into a small group. And especially because this is a young adult group, I want to I wanna, I wanna shout out to Brian, Anita, and Maureen, who are small group leaders. Um, and so get plugged in. Get plugged in. Okay? So the Bible makes it very clear that we ought to live lives of humility. So I have key verses here that I want to I encourage you guys in. Um, if we can... So Romans 12, 16 says, um, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, meaning don't be prideful. And he says, never be wise in your own sight. Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another, meaning bearing with another in church or in a small group. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, 12 to 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, meaning the people who think they know what's better, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than you, yourself. So the Bible is very clear that our calling as Christians is to have a humble life. And a lot of that looks like being in community and being in, in, at church. Um, so yeah, so point one, we bless by our attitude. We bless from our attitude, sorry. Point two, we bless by our response. If you look down with me, to verse um, 9, Peter writes, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Peter teaches us that we ought not to pay evil with evil, but to curse. Right? No, he says to bless. And here's, here's, a, here's a fun fact. Um, the New Testament word for devil is diablo. Right? I'm sure you've heard this word Diablo before. Diablo actually translates to the English as slanderer. And so um, my question to you is, how have you used your mouth? How have you used your lips? How have you used your tongue this past week? Have you slandered someone's name? Have you lied about them? Have you, have you paid reviling with reviling? And I pray that if you have, that you would understand this, that you've not only sinned against that person who's, who you talked about, but you've sinned against God who's ultimately made that person in his image. And so I pray that you would repent, that you would trust in Christ, and that you would therefore be reconciled with that person. And we as a church will come behind you and love you as you do that. So do not repay evil with evil but, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. And Peter here is taking up a cue from his master, Jesus. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5.44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, the common understanding from our culture today is like, well, Param, I don't have, I don't have an enemy. And I, I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about an enemy in the sense of like I've I've got this declared enemy like I've you know, you know and and make 
make it seem like it's this big thing, but rather I'm talking about people who are spouses and, and, and um, kids and friends and roommates and coworkers. And, and they're not your enemy in the big sense, but in a very real way, they're, they're maybe hurting you or maybe treating you with some kind of enmity. And, and, and Peter says here, like, don't, don't repay evil with evil. Don't. So what does that look like? So, uh, you know, I think there are several ways that it can manifest. But one way that I want to touch on that no one really talks about is when Peter says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, he's not only talking about speech. He's also talking about silence. In a way, when we talk or when we're silent against those who have enmity against us that we know who have cursed us or have hurt us, when we sit back in silence and we allow that space to linger, and you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like there's an elephant in the room that's making, our, that, that's making our, the, the tension awkward. And Peter is saying part of reviling or part of e- speaking evil is actually staying quiet actually staying quiet and so it, it can take in the form of, of of you being in a relationship and and uh, I know that I've I've fallen trap into like where where someone's hurt hurts me and then I sit in my self-pity and and get silence and I kind of like block people off and um, that's a form of paying evil um, so you know pouting sulking silence but I want to encourage you here because I think our culture narrative says that we love, our love comes based out of feelings. That our love comes based, like you, you need to genuinely feel like you love this person in order to love them. But I don't think the New Testament make, makes that distinction. I think he, the New Testament's a little bit more sophisticated. Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, Tim Keller quotes C.S. Lewis, who I, I'm a big fan of Tim Keller, so... Tim Keller quotes C.S. Lewis in saying that, you know, natural feelings should be encouraged of love, of blessing. Natural feelings should be encouraged. But it's wrong to think that you can manufacture it like some toy. And so, like, just imagine, like, if my coworker wronged me, right, I'm not going to sit at my desk and say, "Mm, do I love this person? Like, you know, that's not real. That's not... You don't do that. So what, like, what does C.S. Lewis say? He says, don't sit there saying, do I really love this person? He says, act like it. And he says, this, is, this will reveal a great spiritual secret. When you are behaving like you're acting some, like someone, um, sorry, when you are behaving like you love someone, sometimes and usually you presently do come to love them. Meaning, meaning that, when my coworker wrongs me, when my friend wrongs me, when my college roommate wrongs me, I'm not in college anymore, but let's say I am, I don't sit back in silence and, and sit in my sulk, but rather I act, even though I don't have the feelings of love, and I act and I, and I try to reconcile or I try to make peace or I try to give him some, something to him or offer him something, and eventually those actions will lead to me loving him genuinely from my heart. Now, here's the opposite. C.S. Lewis says the opposite is also true. And he gives this very vivid illustration. He says, if you think about the Nazi Germans and how they treated the Jews, they not only hated them from their heart, 
but they were murdering them. And this led to perpetual hatred and murder. And so that's that's a very vivid vivid image. And so uh, I just want to encourage you, like if you're in a relationship, if you have college roommates, if you have um, whoever, don't go in, I don't want you to go out paying tit for tat. That's what Peter's saying. Don't pay tit for tat. This is very ordinary. Don't pay for tit for tat. But bless them. Bless them even when your feelings don't, uh, don't feel like it. Now, side comment. There is a subtle sin that can happen when you're doing this. Um, and, it can, and it can come from, you have to really examine your heart when you do this. But there is a way to communicate to that person or even subconsciously do this where you're blessing that person not because you want to obey God and his law, his, his law of charity, but you ultimately want that other person to come in your debt. You, you, know, I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're suddenly like, I want that person to know how I'm feeling. I want, and, and um, I think that's, it's, that's very subtle. And so you have to ask, am I doing this for God? And because he has commanded me not to speak evil of my neighbor or to pay reviling for reviling? And so um, I just want to encourage you, check your heart. Ask, am I doing this for God or am I doing this for people? Um, now, being aware of this, love, I want to make it clear, love, in the end, shouldn't be either dutiful action, like I'm loving them and blessing them. Neither should it be simply emotions. But being aware of this, they, they need to be combined sometimes, but being aware of this, you need to know that what you have control over. So do you have control of your emotions or your actions? Typically, we have control over our, over our actions. And so I would encourage you when you, when you, I know you're thinking about someone right now. When you're thinking about that person, think about how you're going to act towards them next time you see them. Okay? But if we're completely honest, I think we all fall into this. I think this is a huge obstacle in obeying the Lord about how we treat our friends, our roommates, our spouses, our etc. So I want to tell you the key. And Peter gives it us in here in the psalm. So if you go to uh, my third point, we bless because of our reality. We ultimately bless because of our reality. Peter here quotes a psalm. And it's Psalm 34. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. And... Peter says, I mean, not Peter, Peter quotes this psalm for, some, for, for a very specific reason. Why would Peter use this psalm? If you look in the beginning of Psalm 34, it says a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Peter is using a psalm that is coming from an exile, David. David was running away from King Saul. Not only was he running away from King Saul, but he went to another city where he wasn't welcome. And so he fled that city. And in this cave with all these exiles and his, David's followers, David writes this beautiful psalm. And his first verse is this. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And Peter goes on to quote verse 12. What man, what man is there who desires life 
and love many days that he may see good. And he goes on to verse 16, uh, 15. He says, the eyes, of the, are, are, sorry, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their, cry, toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter is quoting a psalm to encourage the current exiles. He's using a psalm that was written by a exile as well. And so, you know what Peter is doing and what David is doing by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times, even in the midst of his circumstances? Peter and David are saying, I will bless the Lord at all times, despite my circumstances, despite my, my current reality, despite the people who are persecuting, persecuting me, despite me being in exile. And so what, what is, it, what is, he, what is like he really communicating? David is saying that despite my circumstances, despite what I'm going through, I know one thing, that I will bless the Lord because he knows. God knows everything. And if God knows everything, he hears my prayers. And not only does he hear my prayers, but if my God is for me, who can be against me? So, in summary, um, despite all of this, all of this, despite this critical circumstance, he says, I will bless the Lord. He will hear my prayers. He will watch over, over me. And my convicting thought as I wrote this is this is a huge obstacle for me because above all, what Peter and David are doing is they're making God more of a reality than they are of the people who are, who are persecuting them. And our trouble and our struggle is that when someone has enmity or pays us with reviling, you have to ask yourself, is God more real to me or are people more real to me? Um, and so um, that's where my heart was convicting me. But if you, if you have this sense that God is watching over me, that he does hear my prayers, what ultimately happens is that you start letting go of the bitterness and enmity you have against those who pay evil to you. Peter makes it clear, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Um, now, ultimately, we know one who did this very perfectly. <laughs> he did this perfectly, excuse me. If we go to 1 Peter 2, 23, it says that Jesus, it says that when he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to a God or to, a ju who, to him who judges justly. Later on, it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Jesus Christ on the cross not only had the, 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 the calling of sucking in all the, all the enmity and hate that people had for him at the time, but on the cross, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At his last breath, God is still more real to Jesus. The Father is still more real to the Son and the people persecuting him. And so when the way that we do this is we look to the cross. Hebrews says, look to the author and perfecter of our faith, 
And he who suffered unjustly did so for the joy, for the joy, the, the happiness, the joy that was set before him. Peter says in this earlier this psalm, he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. And we as humans right now, we think that that means, oh, we're going to have a good life, that we're going to have the family, blessed. We're going to have the nice car, blessed. We're going to have the money, blessed. But no, you know what Jesus Christ says to us? He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever who loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Jesus is so clear about this. And it's very convicting because in Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, when people revile you and when people do this to you, turn and rejoice. And that's why in Acts, all you, all you see is like apostles and you see Christians who are being persecuted and, 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 and being treated mis, uh, misproperly. And, and, and what they do is they, they, they go out and they're, they're glad. And it's odd. It's just like this, you know, this opposite, this upside-down kingdom. And that's what Jesus and Peter now is calling us to. And so um, as I close off, I'd like to call, call the worship team up. But I'll, I'll share a quick story with you. Um, in October 2nd, 2006, there were 10 girls, 10 schoolgirls between the ages of 6 and 13 who went to school in their town. These were Amish girls. And on that day, um, they faced the unthinkable. The girls had faced a shooter in their schoolroom. These girls are 6 to 13. And one of the girls, when the shooter comes in, one of the girls steps up and says, take my life, don't take theirs. And then when she says that, her sister steps up and says, no, take my life. Don't take theirs. And then the third, there's another sister who got up and says, take my life. No, don't take theirs. And so um, after the announcement uh, was done, when the news found out about this whole story, they asked what the parents had did. And the parents at their local church had collected an offering for the, the shooter's widow. The shooter killed himself at the scene. And, and the church took up an offering for the widow and the child that he left behind. And he, the church blessed her. And it just, it's just like, you know, it's, it gives me goosebumps to think about that. And, and, the, and our culture will say, how could someone ever do something like that? That doesn't make sense. But you see, when, when at the center of your being, when you have a God who's come down in human flesh and who, who pays for their sin, but not only pays for their sin, but forgives them on the cross. And when, you, when that's at the center of your being, your life autom automatically changes. And the reality of God is more real to you. Your response to evil is to with good. And your attitude ultimately changes as well. So as I call up the worship team, I'd just like to pray for us and we'll get going. Um, Father, we thank you for this gathering tonight. Um, Father, thank you so much for this beautiful church that you have provided, Lord. Let us with humility and reverence towards you serve each other. Let us be outward looking and, and to continually look, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? And ultimately, Lord, I pray, Lord, that this unity would show a light towards other people, that we who have been 
sometimes reviled and, and, and persecuted, that we would bless, Lord. This is our divine calling from you and your son, Jesus, who died on our behalf. And we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.